God never ceases to amaze me when you give him your heart and you give him your mouth and you give him your hands and you give him your feet. Why we don't expect him to actually... Is that still not good? Seriously, we need a sound person. How's that? Is that better? Okay. I don't know why we don't expect him to actually take them. Right? If I say, I give you my mouth, I don't know why we don't expect him. When we really mean that in our heart, and we're saying, here's my mouth, we don't expect him to take it. Why, why don't we? You know, this past week, um, just to, I want to share something with you uh, because of where we are as a church, where we are as a house church. We know that God has given us a building. We know that he has given us this, this amazing prophecy of being all over the world, specifically starting from seven places. We know that 1300 Marrows Road is ours. We don't know when, but we know it is. We know that even more recently, God has revealed that there would be an interim building. We know very little about this, but we do know a few things. We know that we're very soon getting into it. (laughs) He changed from soon to very soon. So that's exciting. I believe it's, it's right away. Right away very soon. The first two were my words. <laughs> but we know that he said, as soon as I get you in there, I will be getting you back out to go into Marrow's Road. Now, we don't know what that means either. We also know this place that we're going into will be a place that will fit up to 400 people. We know this place that we're going into is already an established place. He said there will be very little that you need to do when you get in there. And I'm repeating all this for those who have not heard this. Because what we look for when we receive prophecy is we, we look for confirmation. And we've had many confirmations, but this one, this week, came from outside of our church, from somebody who has no clue anything going on. They know about the Morrow's Road building. They know nothing about... This right here. I want to share a text with you. Many of you will remember Erin. Erin, her last name is different now because she got married. But she's with Life Center. She goes to the uh, School of Supernatural Ministry up there. And um, But she has been here a few times. I think it's been probably a year and a half or so since she's been here last. But uh, but she she texted Alexis and I this past week. And wanted to share something with us. I want to read it to you. Now recognize, she knows nothing about what's going on with us. Good morning. During some prayer and worship just now, I heard God saying something about finances and your church. I heard that you are going to be surprised and dazzled by the wealth that changes hands from those that use it less effectively to the hands of those who will use it for God, and that it's going to change, so change, the politics or the so-called politics of Newark and the entire nation. It will change it so drastically that you'll be laughing at how incredible the things God orchestrates are. I feel like God is saying to get excited about your building. He wants it more than you do. Ha ha. She actually put that in. I didn't add that. He loves you too so much. You are the perfect people to lead this region out of Egypt to the promised land with no 40-year detour. Amen. Now, she had no idea. She had no idea that God has said that we will have an interim place. She had no idea that this interim place would be already set up. Now, we don't know what that means. 
But I am here to declare this morning. The Father had me take my shoes off for the purpose of declaration this morning. He, he wants me to declare that those who do not steward what God gives them, it will be taken away. I want you to turn to Matthew 25. And I don't think this is the sermon yet, but we're going to go, we're going to go over a portion of this. Just the end. This is the parable of the talents, where there were talents given to three servants. There was one, one talent, two talents, and five talents given out. And the one with two turned it into four. The one with five turned it into ten. The one with one kept it at one. Didn't do a thing with it. Didn't lose it. And that was his claim to fame. Well, Father, I know you're a hard man, and I didn't lose it for you. And recognize the Father's response. So what? So what? You didn't do with it according to the talents that I placed in your life. You did not steward what I gave you properly. So what was the end result? That's what I want to read. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 25 says this. So take the talent from him. This is the one who had just one and buried it in the sand and didn't, didn't do anything with it. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will, will, more will be given. And he will have an abundance but from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. My declaration is this. That for too long, the bride has been given talents for the purpose of investment. Has been given this, this urge to see this world evangelized and yet all they worry about is to draw people into themselves. For too long, the bride has worried about the infrastructure of what they're doing instead of the outreach of what they're doing. See, because they don't care about each other. Unless they're part of an association, then they do. They care about themselves moving forward. They, and, and by the way, please understand, I'm not lumping the entire bride into this. Because there is a remnant that God is working with that sees the bride as a whole. That sees the bride as one package. But those that have seen it to propel themselves or their own local body, I'm declaring right now that that is coming to an end. And it's coming to an end simply because they are not stewarding properly what God has given them to steward. And it's going to be a confirmation to your hearts when this affects us personally. But it's more than just stewarding what we have as a church. It's stewarding what you have in your life. It's stewarding your walk individually. Where are you in your walk? Are your words greater than your actions? Are your words different than your actions? Do you speak something when, when you're around your church friends and speak something else somewhere else? See, that's not the fertile ground that it's supposed to be planted in. It's easy to go with the flow when you're with the flow. It's when you step out into the world where God has called you to step out to, that's where it's tough. Are you a double-minded person? Are you one way here and some other way somewhere else? See, recognize that God is not going to put up with that anymore. He is drawing a line in the sand. And he's saying, I would rather you be hot or cold. 
Are you with me or are you against me? We will get to this because that's actually where I wanted to go at first. When Joshua comes up to, the, to the, what he thought was a man in front of Jericho, and that's actually chapter 5, but whatever. It's still Joshua. And he says, are you for us or against us? Right? He knew that he had a mission. It didn't matter where he was, he had a mission. You have a mission. And I'm not saying a mission that, it, that it's this mission with ignition. You have a mission as a child of God. You have a mission not to be double-minded. You have a mission not to be one way here and another way somewhere else. And yet that's really hard to do. You have to examine why. Is it because you, you just want friends? Because you just want to be accepted? You know, that's really a powerful thing. And that's a normal thing. But he's drawing a line in the sand. And he's saying, are you with me? Are you, are you for me? Are you against me? Are you going to fight in this war? Are you going to jump into this army? Or are you going to stand by the side? It's your choice. And, and I know it's tough to hear, but there's a cost. There's always a cost to fighting for what you believe. There's always a cost. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11. Now last week I had mentioned just during worship, God just had this downloaded thought to me. And, and I mentioned a little bit of it last week, and I was praying that, that he would just give me more clarity this week. And, and I believe he has. He's, he's given me at least a little bit more. But this idea of what point in time we're in right now. You know, we know we're in the last days. You know, technically we've been in the last days since, since Peter and John and and all of them at Pentecost roamed the earth. That's when he said, we're in those days. Those days began. The church age began as, as Peter at Pentecost. That's when the church age began. But it began that last phase. Okay, that last phase um, of, of the church. But what, what does that mean? And what does that mean in correlation of, of us and, and where we're at right now? See, what he showed me last week that I mentioned last week, it, it was this incredible epiphany that that what this end time will look like and and i don't mean tribulation and all that i'm talking about the readying of the bride i'm talking about the revelation 3 9 readying of the bride bringing the bride to a point where the bride is ready to be taken in the rapture okay that's what we're speaking about right now is is what what that looks like, and last week the Lord told me it's going to look, it's not going to look like what we see in the book of Acts, because in the book of Acts that was the beginning. Now not that portions won't, because the Holy Spirit will be released. But yet even Peter said the Holy Spirit will be released even greater, even greater as it nears the end. So it's going to look different. What the Lord showed me last week is that it will look more like what it was Israel going into the promised land than it was at Pentecost. Why? What is the main difference? See, at Pentecost, they showed the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit through these apostles and showed this immeasurable love. But there was one thing missing that would require the bride to come to a place of adoring by the world, which is what it says in Revelation 3.9, remember? That it will come to a place where the bride is literally honored by the world. If you don't believe me, look it up. It's what it says. So the one thing missing to come to that place is this idea of conquering. 
This idea of, of taking land. This idea of conquering the enemy. Which is what the children of Israel did going into the promised land. I want to read. You don't need to look it up, but it's in Romans. You, you can go back a little bit. Romans 8. But you all know these verses. Romans 8.37 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, Jesus our Lord. Why did Paul say that? See, because that wasn't realized then in a physical sense. It was realized as being conquerors over death and sin. Because when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart and accept the fact and believe the fact that Jesus, as the Son of God, became man, lived a perfect life, and hung on a cross for your sin and for mine, was raised from the dead. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. See, if we believe that, we are conquerors over death. He has made us conquerors. Okay, but that's not what that's talking about. That verse has not been realized yet. Romans 8, 30, what is it, 37 and 38 have not, and 39 have not been realized yet because it says conquerors over what? Conquerors over rulers, angels. Death has already been conquered. If you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. But angels, rulers, things present, things come, powers. Height, depth. What does that mean? It means your surroundings. See, we have not become conquerors yet over those things. Because if we had, then the bride would be a different picture than she is today. Romans, or Revelation 3.9 would have come to pass already if we were conquerors. But that is what he is calling us to be, is conquerors. Now why? See, God has, it's really interesting, when you get into the Word of God to understand the mind of God, you begin to get these answers to plaguing questions. You know, why? Why is he readying the bride? Why is he doing things the way? Why is he going back to then make us conquerors so that the world literally looks at us and says they recognize that God shows favor on his bride? You know, that's what it says in Revelation 3. You know what? Turn to Revelation 3 9. <laughs> I, I, keep, I keep saying this, but let's read it. Revelation 3.9. This is the church, the letter to the church of Philadelphia says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them the world. In, in other words, those who are not saved, those who do not know Christ as Savior. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. Who's the your? It's the church. This letter is being written to the church of Philadelphia. This letter is being written to the church who has been faithful to Jesus. Faithful to his teachings. He says, I will make them bow down at your feet, and they will, the, the, the world, they will learn that I have loved you. The world's going to recognize that God's favor has been poured out on his bride. See, if anybody thinks that's happening right now, please, let's talk. Because I don't see it. In fact, what I see is the scourge, the, the church is a scourge in the world's mind. Well, that's just something that, that's a crutch for you. That's just something to, to hold you down, to trap you, to make you do you know, what they want you to do. Why is that the case? It's because they don't see the favor of God. 
but they're going to. See, that's how it was with the Jews. That's how it was with the Jews when, when Moses brought the Jews out of Egypt. God's intent was for the Jewish nation to step into his promise. They were to step into his promised land, right? And we, we all know the story. They send in the 12 spies and 10 of them come back and say, No, they're big. We can't do that. Only Joshua and Caleb said, so what if they're big? Of course we can do it. Because God is with us. This is one time where it's really sad that majority ruled. <laughs> right? But majority ruled. And so God made them wander in the, in the wilderness for 40 years until all those who were over 20 died off. But then Joshua was made into the leader. And they were to move into the promised land. And they moved in as conquerors. Right? We'll get into that here in a minute. But they moved in as conquerors. They did not move in as infiltrators to kind of be a part of it. And, hey, we're going to kind of hang with you guys. And, 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 and then you'll see how, how nice we are and maybe recognize that God is good. Wow, that's so opposite of what happened. In fact, Jesus said of those seven nations, you are to destroy everything. Everything. He said you are to go in as conquerors. And they did. They went into the land as conquerors. But you know this story, and I, and, and I don't want to get ahead of too much here, but you know that after they took the land, it was simply the next generation. One generation. And they turned to idol worship. One generation of, of the fact that God had shown them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. One generation later. They turned their face from him. Imagine how you feel if you were God. See, recognize these are his chosen people. We're not. If you're a Gentile, which is everything but a Jew, you are not God's chosen people. I'm not God's chosen people. Right? He chose the nation of Israel to be his people, and they turned on him. So how much more if he sends his son? How much more, just, just like the, the parable of the landowner, how much more if I send my son, they'll respect my son. They'll believe my son. They'll listen to my son. So I'll send my son, and what do they do? They kill son they hung Jesus Christ on a cross so they literally turn against what they believe but there was a reason for that and praise God praise God it was through that act that we got to be included I want you to turn or maybe we already were did I say Romans 11? Okay, good. Romans 11, we're, we're there. We're there now. The Gentiles are grafted into this idea. Okay? Now, recognize, we're going we're gonna to read this here, but recognize what's going on here. God had a plan with his people. That plan was they would take over the promised land and that they would view him as king. Not an earthly king. Recognize, view God as king. Not, not, that, not that Jesus would then come and, and, and take everything by force and be, be this earthly king at that point. God wanted to be king through their faith. That's what was going on when they entered the promised land, but then they fell from that. Let's pick it up in verse 11. 
So I ask, did they stumble? And this is talking about the children of Israel. Did they stumble? Hold on. Let me, let me give a little background. Because the, the, the stumbling here was due to the law. Because nobody could uphold the law. It was impossible. We, we know by scripture that that's actually why the law was given. Because it was impossible to follow. It was impossible. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? Paul says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? So as to make Israel jealous. That is a key point to understand. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. So now he switches his conversation. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. And as much, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews, what? Jealous. And thus save some of them. He's saying, I hope that they will see the favor that God has poured on my life for the fact that they will see God in me and recognize Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That He is the answer. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 15, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? but life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. By the way, what it's talking about there is the first fruits of the dough offered as first, first root or also the, the root. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus was the first resurrection. He was the first fruit. He was Jewish. He was the first that was offered. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, picture, picture Jesus, right, as, as this, this, uh, this root, okay, and the branches are Israel, okay, of this, he, he, talks about later later on it being an olive tree. That's why in Scripture, Israel is, is always uh, shown as an olive tree. Okay, a cultivated olive tree. So picture Jesus is this root, this, this trunk, and, and Israel are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, Okay, and he's talking to Gentiles. And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Then he gives a warning. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. And by the way, this brings up such a, such a troubling thought process in a lot of churches today. This replacement theology that, that the Gentiles, or the church age now has replaced what God wanted to do with Israel. That is so false. It says it right here. It's so false. We did not replace Israel. In fact, we are literally being used to make Israel jealous. So you're being used. Right? We are being used... To show Israel what it could have been. What it could have been. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. 
For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? I want to end with 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. See, the Gentiles have an opportunity, an opportunity through faith to believe in Jesus Christ. There will come a time, and there is coming a time now, where that bride, that Gentile bride, will be readied. And that fullness of the Gentiles will come in, and Jesus will come in the rapture and take his bride home. But I want you to picture what's going on here. Why? Why is that? Why can we look now and see that our pathway is a pathway of being conquerors? It's because Israel never did it. Israel did not follow through with doing it. Never, they, they took the land, although they didn't even take the land fully, but, but they took the land and never generation after generation had God as their king. So he's giving us a chance. He's giving the world now a chance to recognize God is king. To recognize that in your life, God has to be supreme. He has to be number one. Jesus Christ paid for that on the cross. So therefore, that relationship with him holds more importance than anything else. That relationship with Jesus Christ holds more importance than that relationship that you have to somebody else. I've been married, we're going on 30 years. My relationship with Jesus Christ has more importance to me and should the same with her more than each other. And she is the close person to me. But that relationship with Jesus Christ has to be number one. So God can fulfill what his intent was in the first place with Israel. Now I love the fact that he does it for the purpose still of Israel. He wants to fulfill it in us literally to show Israel, see, see, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do with you. I want to be your king. And he's going to show Israel what it can look like when they recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And then at that point, he's going to take the church out. He's going to rapture the church. And they'll be gone. And Israel will have their chance. That's when it goes into the tribulation which, please understand, the tribulation is not judgment on Israel. It's just the opposite. It's actually judgment of the world for Israel's sake. Because Israel will be protected during that time. And then when Israel finally cries out to Jesus, recognizes him as Messiah and says, come come and be our king, that's when Jesus comes. That's at the end of the tribulation. He will come, and that's when he sets up his earthly throne for a thousand years. So understand what's happening now. This time that we live in is one of the most exciting times that you could be a part of this this world. The reading of the bride is literally our only opportunity To be able to do what God intended in the first place. And that is to have these people that believe by faith who he is. And let them run their lives no matter what. So this idea. It it drives me insane. These theologians that sit around and just say it's just getting so bad. God just come. 
you know, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So God, why don't you just come now? Don't let it get worse. Just come. Well, he could come anytime because it's really bad. Man alive. It's just the opposite. Do you understand that his bride will have to be readied first? His bride will have such influence and, and in this world because the favor that God has on his bride that the world will literally recognize it was God. How cool is that? Isn't that kind of what we've been taught our whole lives? They're supposed to see, what, Jesus in you? Can you imagine the bride being to the point where the world sees Jesus in the bride? Collectively? That's coming. It has to. It has to because that's the only thing that's going to make Israel jealous. And recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Jesus Christ is their king. Their king that they once rejected, but that they will call back to be their king again. So when we move into this time... We are moving into this time as conquerors. Now, turn to Joshua. (laughs) And Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. And the first part of Joshua is is really the, the transference, you know, from Moses to Joshua and, and and God is telling Joshua that uh, that I will be with you as I was with Moses. I'm going to do everything through you that I that I was that I said I will do through Moses. You, you, he's literally taking over for Moses. But I want you to understand we're get, we're going to start in verse five because this this is where you're at as a church. This is where you're at individually. If you are in this warfare, you have to understand that you can step forward in confidence, even though we're a tiny little church, even though we're in a living room. We can step forward in confidence knowing that God will do just what he did to the children of Israel going into the promised land. Verse 5 says this, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. But verse 6 is such a strong, important instruction. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all it is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. And do not be dismayed or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why do you think that it was so important to God to make sure Joshua understood that he needed to have courage and to not be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. Don't be discouraged by what you see. You know, now we know ahead of time with Joshua, we know that right away they got to figure out how they're going to get across the river. Now Joshua knew what God had done at the Red Sea. Right? He was alive back then. And he got to see. So I'm sure there was a confidence that, that God would get them across one way or the other. But recognize all those people that said yes, they had to have that same faith. Because 
Many of them did not know. They heard the stories, but they did not see the performing of miracle at the Red Sea. They did not see the moving forward in that, that way. They had to agree and believe in faith that it was going to happen. And Joshua had no idea. Literally, Jericho's right across the river. They could see it. Jericho's across the river and they, they could go and, and he had no idea how they were going to conquer it. He just knew by faith they were going to conquer it. It was going to be given them. It's much like us. We have no idea. We have no idea how we're going to get into this next building or get into Marrow's Road or eventually get into College Square. We have no idea how we're going to get the land that we need in Nigeria. We have no idea when we're going to move to those other, all the seven areas that we're going to be moving to. We don't know God's plan for each step. But neither did Joshua. God didn't tell him the plan for Jericho until they got in front of Jericho. And then, and then he told him what the plan was. And what happened? They took Jericho. Right? Each of these places, when they were obedient with God, they took the place. See, there's nothing we need to do for this building. Nothing. We just have to be obedient. We just have to step through on dry ground over the River Jordan, effectively, and just say, I trust you. Perhaps he has said, march around the city. Maybe that's what we're doing right now. But at some point, he gives it. Why? Because it's just the beginning. Jericho was only a small portion of what needed to be conquered in the land. See, our part in this has been this huge prophecy, but this this first building or the first grouping of people that are going to come around us, it's it's just just a step. We have to step in faith. That's why he said be courageous. Why? Because there's opposing forces. Like we read in, in, in uh, I think it was Romans, Romans 8, about being, you know, we are more than conquerors, but we have to go against things that we cannot or don't necessarily know how to fight. God has to fight for us. God has to fight with us. We've certainly experienced that. But by faith, we know he will move us forward. So don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. See, do you think God had an idea when he was telling Joshua that, that they would run into some trouble along the way? I mean, think about even what happened at Jericho. Jericho was this tremendous victory. They march around seven times, shout, walls come down, they take the city, they destroy everything. Except one person. Right? Achan takes some treasured goods. He takes some gold, some silver. And he hides it, buries it in his tent. And so when they go to take the next place, Ai, they they just, they're defeated immediately. Joshua then is dismayed. He's discouraged. Why why did you bring us out here to just do this to us? And the Lord's like, wait a second. He said, first of all, I told you not to be dismayed. But wouldn't you rather ask me what is wrong? He said, there's sin in your camp. And you know the whole story where, where then the sin was brought out, cleansed, and they took Ai. Without problem. And I find it interesting that Jericho, they did not, they were not allowed to take any spoil. Remember the idea of first fruits. First fruits were for God. They were not allowed to take any spoil. 
in, in, in Jericho. But then when they got to Ai, he said, take everything. Take whatever you want. Take all the cattle. Take, take everything. Still, still offering to God what is God's. But take the spoil. See, we have been in battle for a long time, taking nothing. We have been in battle for a long time in, in absolute faith in what God is doing. It's been more than training, guys. I know we talk about all the, that all the time, that what well, we're in training and God's teaching us how to, how to war here and do this and do that. And that, that's all true. Absolutely true. But it's more than that. See, the first fruit has to be what we give him. It doesn't mean that there are not spoils of this warfare. It does not mean that there are not spoils that we will get to have to, to consume as a part of our growth, which is a building. Don't be discouraged. Because we're right there. We're right there. What God is about to do is open up things in such a way that if, if you are not staying with it right now, it's going to cause delay in your life when it's opened up. And I, I say that very carefully because everything is predicated upon your faith in your own life. What God wants to do in your life he said, will you take what I have given you and steward it properly? Going back to Matthew 25. He has given each of you talents. He's given each of you giftings. He's given all of us a plan for our life. And he wants to see how you're going to steward it. Are you going to steward it in your own control? Or are you going to steward it how he wants you to? Are you going to give it to him and say, Lord, do what you want with it? But oftentimes he comes back and says, Here, here's the gift. I want to see what you do with it. Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's a cop-out to say, well, you know, I'm just waiting on God. Waiting on God to do this. When God told you a long time ago to do this. Right? We know things from the word of God that we don't have to ask him for. He, he said, he that winneth souls is wise. Do you need to ask the Lord if you should be a soul winner? No. Do you need to ask the Lord if, if you are to, to share Christ with somebody? No, you may, you may ask him about maybe an open door. But we know we're, we're to be Christ. We're, we're to have Christ exude through us all the time. That means everybody you talk to. They, they should get sick and tired of, of only hearing Christ through you. <laughs> is that all you can talk about is Jesus? You know what, when you're so in love with him? Yeah, Sorry. But let me tell you about it, because really, you would love this. See, so recognize that you are to steward what he's given you. As a church, we're to steward what he's given us. Now, materially, we have very little. Although I do have a truck now. <laughs> Just saying, I have a truck. <laughs> but we're to steward what he gives us. We, we don't have much in the way of material. But we, we are rich. We are rich in what he's given us in faith. We're rich in what he's given us in purpose. We're rich in what he's given us in prophecy. We're rich in what he's given us in his word. We're rich in what he's given us in love. I, I, I mean, you talk about loving churches, and, and you know every church talks about how loving they are, but, but truly... You are a gifted church in love. It's extraordinary. But see, you're to steward that. 
And part of that stewarding isn't just taking it and hiding it and, and preserving what's there. Remember Matthew 25. It's not preserving what's there. It's making what's there grow. Right? It's turning what is there now into something bigger and bigger and bigger. We have a responsibility before God. All we have now, we don't have you know, physical means. But boy, we have a voice. We have love. We have compassion. We can reach out and we can tell people and we can talk to people. We can go out on the prayer walks and take opportunities to reach out. We can go to other functions at other churches just to encourage them. What a concept. I used to say that all the time. Why, why don't we, when, when I was part of other churches, why don't we go to other churches and encourage them? Not for the purpose of hopefully they'll do the same, but the point is building those bridges. See, we are to steward what we have. You are to steward in your life what you have. What gets in the way of stewarding? Well, for that one servant, it was fear. That servant was afraid. He was afraid of what could happen. He was afraid because he knew the expectations were high. And he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to live up to those expectations. See, your real enemies are the ones that stop you from doing God's will. Your real enemies are the ones that, that bring fear into your life. That literally halt God's plan for your life. That's why he told Joshua, be courageous. Don't be discouraged. When you hit something that, that you're unsure about or don't know how to deal with, don't be discouraged. Take it from that point. Give it to God and move forward. Because you have a responsibility to steward. By the way, that doesn't mean you have a responsibility to do it all. See, it, does, it doesn't mean that, that if, if I put an investment of money in an investment company, okay, that, that, that I know will give a good return or I believe will give a good return, my responsibility stops when I give it to him, right? Now it's their responsibility to steward what I have placed in their laps, don't take back what is God's responsibility to steward. If he tells you to do something, that doesn't mean you have to do it and control everything about it. I remember when, when we first you know, were on this journey, long before we were a, a church and everything else, and I've told this story when the Lord told us to close the business. Right? And that was our sole source of income. You know, there came a point then when... How do we pay the mortgage? You know, I, I sold my other truck. <laughs> See, these were soft points in my life. That's, that's why this last, this last week has been huge. Sorry. We need to, I need to get off that. But anyway. See, when you give something to the Lord and you hit a roadblock in it, or, or you don't know how it's going to work out. You can't take it back. Even though you're tempted to. It, it, we, we were tempted at that point, you know, when, when it's going a, a few months now and we're out of money and we don't know how to make the mortgage. It would have been very easy at that point. To, well, let me just take a quick job. I'll just do a bathroom. I'll, I'll, I'll re, refurbish a bathroom and I could, I could easily make a month's worth of salary and it'll take me 10 days to do it. See, now, logically, that makes sense, doesn't it? I could work for 10 days, and that leaves the rest of the month to where I could do ministry. Oh, my goodness. That makes sense. Only problem is, that's not what God told me to do. 
In fact, he didn't trust me enough to where he said, get rid of your tools. Because he said, I want you to trust me. So when you step out and you do something that he's told you to do, and then you hit these roadblocks that you don't know how to deal with, you cannot take the control yourself. Honestly, and you can ask Alexis, I say this all the time, it's on him. This truck, this truck is on him. Right? I, I went through the process of making sure this is what he wanted me to do, making sure this is what he wanted me to get, and, and there was confirmation after confirmation, even down to this specific truck. So now I just have to trust that it's on him. How about in your own life? When you step out and you trust him in something, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your work, or maybe it's you leaving work, and you say, I trust you, but then you hit the first part of difficulty, and you say, wait a second, maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe this wasn't you, God. Maybe, 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 maybe. And you start figuring out all these things where you got it wrong. Don't do that. Be courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Be courageous and bold and strong and move forward in what you know God has called you to do. And one thing I promise you, I promise you, that when you do that, he will provide in such a way, it'll blow you away. And when he provides that first time in a miraculous way, it'll begin to seal and solidify your faith in that choice. That's what God does. That's what he did for the children of Israel. Right? He, he took them across the, the Jordan and said, well, no, you're not going to draw your sword. You're just going to worship. Trust me, you'll be fine. You're going to worship. And then when I say to shout, the walls will come down, and then you go after the city. See, Joshua could have said, now wait a second, Lord. I mean, you know, we were able to get some spies in there. How about if we get some people in there and we could begin fighting from within, and then all of a sudden we could, see, he could start formulating in his own mind the best strategy to do it. Because honestly, in warfare, I, I don't think you, you would talk to a single general that would say the best strategy is to go encircle the city and sing. <laughs> or shout on that seventh time. Just shout. Blow the horns and shout. They're going to be like, that's not going to do anything. See, human strategy is different than God's strategy. That's because when you infuse God's strategy with human faith, wow, things happen. Walls come down. Cities are taken. That's what he wants to do. So you need to steward what he's given you. This calling that he's given us, we have to steward it by moving forward in what we know and be strong and courageous and not worry about how he's going to do his part. So just in closing, I want to encourage you on that point. If God tells you to do something, do it and don't worry about the outcome. Because the outcome's on him. The outcome is on him. You have to simply let God be God. Let him do what he wants to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much and thank you and praise you, God. And Lord, I just pray today that this penetrates the hearts of your people. I know that you have shown your love over and over. And you have promised your power. Father, I pray 
that you give strength to those to not be discouraged, not be dismayed, not to turn to the right or the left because they have not seen your power yet. For it will be shown. And it will be miraculous. I pray that you work in our hearts, Lord. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, you know, it's funny, with our, with our calling and ignition, I, when he was talking about the, the absurdity of how they were supposed to take Jericho and they had gone around the, the city and shouting, I thought it was interesting. Just like that, God's asked our church to do the exact opposite of how you build a church. And, you know, humanly speaking, when they went around to sing and to shout, that was really, from a human standpoint, that was more of an announcement. Hey, we're here so you can kill us more easily. I mean, if you really think about it, that's essentially the logic a human being would look at and say, okay, the absurdity of that is you just got real close to the city and now you're shouting so that you're in range of them killing you easier. And I feel like that sometimes what people look at with ignition is that, you know, God is asking us to do the exact opposite. And there was a couple things that I was very convicted about. And I will tell you, if you thought of something during this message today, if the Holy Spirit, let me not even say Holy Spirit, if you thought of something that, yeah, I need to start doing that, or yeah, I've been needing to fix that or get that right, don't dismiss it. It came to your mind It came to your spirit because the Holy Spirit put it there. Don't leave this place and with the distractions that are to come with lunch and all the other activities of the day, don't just forget that that came to you because that came to you from the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, we are called, we are called to live counterculture. The culture, you know, and you you use the word from the Jacob and Esau story, which we talked about in the ladies' class. You cannot walk in your birthright as part fraud. Why? Because the enemy loves that. I mean, and the world loves that. They love frauds. Just listen to the news. They, They exalt people that are willing to lie at any cost for their agenda. They love the duplicity. They love hypocrisy, even though they don't realize it. It's just, we are full of frauds. You are so accepted in society if you are a part fraud or an altogether fraud. And if you're authentic and genuine, and certainly if you love Jesus Christ as Lord, you are a complete outcast. But that's what we were called to. We are called to live counterculture, not with our culture. And that is part of the problem as to the parable of the talents, is we've got to decide that we've accepted that calling. That's the first calling you've got to accept. Forget any other missions of a church or of your ministry. You just have to decide as a Christian, if you're a believer, you have to decide, am I going to walk with this culture, which pulls me away from everything that's close to Jesus Christ, or am I going to walk with Jesus? And you're going to find wall after wall and and pulling and and obstacle after obstacle of this world that will pull you away and I, I just think it's it's simple but it's not simple because as soon as you leave today some of you will come into contact with friends with family members that every they are it's this they are the atmosphere and the things coming out of their mouth is the exact opposite of where you need to be and those decisions of how you will walk in that environment is really the choice to to walk in victory and to walk in your birthright. And we, it's so funny how God will give him the same thing that I had no idea what he was going to talk on. And here we just talked about some of these things in the ladies' class. Because it's so true. I had just said to the, to the women, and the Lord, Lord just put it in my mind, that when you obey, when you, when you make those choices to obey, the blessing is really amazing to decide to do it. But, but don't, 
don't delay. And, and one of the ladies brought out that, you know, don't delay on that obedience because as soon as you delay, guaranteed a demonic spirit of deception will come in and tell you that that really wasn't what God said. That really wasn't. That was the first lie that ever existed that we know of, by the way, to eat. That wasn't really what God said. He didn't actually tell you you couldn't eat of that tree. So you're going to doubt a lot of his voice if you wait. When you are quick to obey, err on the side of obedience in the tiniest little areas, and then watch the blessing upon blessing upon blessing come. And um, man, it, don't forget, don't forget the interpretation that the Lord spoke through Brooks' tongues earlier. That was literally the announcement of the sermon that Greg gave, that he could not have known that that was coming, but the Lord spoke in a capsule the message that Greg gave today. Isn't that cool how God works? He literally spoke out what he wanted to give as a word from the Lord today, and then Greg ended up preaching that very thing, and it's just it's amazing. So God wants us to be single-eyed. He wants us to be passionate and sold out, and, uh, but we've got to start with the little things. Don't wait for the will of God in the big way. You know, It's the will of God to be thankful. It's the will of God to love one another, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength. And then love others as yourself. Start with start with the things that are little tiny decisions today, and um, otherwise you get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed easily. So um, so praise God, praise God for that. I hope you'll listen to that. I really um, don't need to give uh, the announcement.